In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Ouch, that hurts. Have you ever listened to yourself speaking on and on and on and realize your words do indeed begin to hurt the ear? No matter how eloquently we speak, Paul tells us, unless we have love, we not only are nothing, we gain nothing. A friend of mine asked me once what the most important aspect of Christianity was, and I immediately said love. And she disagreed with me. I'd still say love today, because her answer involves love. Belief in Jesus Christ, she said. While I agree, if we don't have the love to accept God's salvific gift through his son, Jesus Christ, then we're clanging symbols. We're full of hot air and our own importance. 1 Corinthians 13 was a reading my cousin Jane chose for her funeral service. Usually reserved for weddings, Jane chose this passage because this is how she lived her life. Her overwhelming love for all she came in contact with drew people to her, and by default, to her Lord and Master. Read it again. Love is all there is, for with love, everything else will fall into place, including accepting the gift God offers us for free. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. I have a challenging show for you this week. My guest is Teresa Brett, who will ask us to rethink the possessive term, my children, and instead say the children who share my life. I'll look at how television has affected our lives as homeschoolers and tell you what happened to my mum the day before we left England. I'm back home, where the phones and internet work when I want them to, so go grab your tea, sit back and listen to some travelling tales, both exhausting and amusing. But before I start, I'm looking at my dead oleander. Usually at this time of the year, it's bright green with pink flowers on it that are starting to float on top of the pool, but now it's just a mass of dead yellow leaves. It looks horrible. I suppose hubby's going to have to dig those out. And I left all the sunny weather behind me in England and returned to gloom, which made me feel low and doubly exhausted when I landed at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport after travelling for 22 hours on Monday. The planes Malia and I flew on were smaller than usual, so we were lucky to have a window and an aisle seat between us on both legs of the journey, which was interrupted in North Carolina with a four-hour layover. There were no individual entertainment centres which threw Malia for a loop, but what the heck, she did her most favourite thing, slept. And we were awakened several times with beverages and food, rather like being in hospital and being disturbed for the taking of vital statistics through the night. No matter how long and hard one sleeps on a plane, the body just doesn't feel right, does it? I finished my book, so during the layover I did my favourite thing, browsed the bookshop and bought myself something to read for the second leg. Malia even read, which was a last resort for her. There was no entertainment to be had at all on the second leg. People watching is always a good hobby, and airport hobbies are good places to do it. 
people travel in odd assortments of clothes, from fancy with really high heels, not a good idea given the amount of walking we have to do from gate to gate, to almost pyjamas which look fetching at times but are completely inappropriate once the destination is reached. Passengers also carry on an inordinate amount of luggage, heavy luggage at that, since it isn't weighed, since you're the one doing the lugging. And I was in eavesdropping mode when a group of people walked past us in Raleigh and the speaker, who was a middle-aged, chunky, casual dresser, was talking about a restaurant he'd gone to the night before. It was very good, he said. I wouldn't turn down any of the food on their menu. Malia and I looked at each other and giggled because by the looks of him, he wouldn't turn down any of the food on any menu. And I had a frustrating experience brushing my teeth in one of the airport restrooms. I was probably tired. I'd been on the go since 5.30 in the morning, and it was now about 9 o'clock at night for my body clock. The loos were state-of-the-art, which meant soap could not be dispensed by pumping and taps could not be turned on by hand. But I wasn't washing my hands, just brushing my teeth, and no amount of waving my brush under the tap could entice the wash to flow. In the end, I had to wave my hand across the red motion detector and a rush of water spluttered out and caught me by surprise. After a nanosecond's hesitation, I reacted just quickly enough to get my toothbrush wet. But when it came to rinsing and spitting and cleaning out the sink, I was rendered useless. I'd say the mechanics were broken, but I was tired and probably expecting a much higher level of service than the motion detector and its flow of water was used to providing. I decided it was on a timer as well as a detector and had only let the tap run with water a certain number of times a minute. I had to keep moving down the sinks because I couldn't stand patiently and wait with my mouth full of foaming toothpaste. So good job I was on my own. We had to clear customs in Raleigh and I thought, here we go as I dug out my ancient, probably by now invalid, permanent alien resident card. But the customs officer was very pleasant and told me that until the government actually passed a law, I could still use my permanent alien resident card, although he did mutter a comment under his breath and with my good hearing it went something like this. Why issue a card that lasts forever and put a photograph on it? How clever is that? I tend to agree with him. I have a driving license from England that has no expiration date on it to go with the fact that there is no photo of me on it either. My brother says they've introduced new ones with photos which have to be renewed every 10 years with a fee. Back to my permanent alien card. I noticed I had a fingerprint on the card and each time I came through, my fingerprints, my fingerprints were taken again and this time was no exception. I questioned this friendly officer in a very polite manner because there were warnings all over the airport about what would happen if you smarted off to an employee of the American government. He told me my fingerprints go into a central computer for verification. And while he was chatting to me, he got confirmation back that it was indeed me. Surprise, surprise. So what's the big deal? I guess they want more money. That's all I can think. On that note, it's time to go to my book excerpt in which I talk about our decision not to use television in our house as a babysitter. My brother's comment when I told him was, you're going to give yourself a lot of additional work. What? I thought children were supposed to be a lot of additional work, weren't they? My chapter's called Television is Not a Team Player. So here goes. Sadly, children of today's super parents have a new babysitter that never gets angry or ill, doesn't eat all the snacks or fall asleep. Paris, my oldest daughter, told me about this helper the last time she babysat. Mum, she has a DVD player and a television in her bedroom. She's only three, and already she won't go to bed without a movie or a program playing. Paris tutted in amazement, partly because she's 15 and doesn't have her own DVD player or television in her room, and partly because she realises that three is a little young to be owning such sophisticated equipment. 
Her parents think it's time for Giano to have his own DVD and television too, she continued. And she takes a deep breath. While they're buying him his, they're going to upgrade hers. Paris was utterly amazed. Giano is too. Now, before I go any further, I have to admit that my children also had to go to bed with something playing in their rooms. It started off as the mobile, wound up just before we would furtively sneak out of the nursery. The infant was fast asleep and with a bit of luck would stay that way until morning, if the music didn't click off too soon. Unfortunately, as we all know, those little wind-up music makers only last a few moments, and as they click off with a loud burst of silence, the baby invariably awakens with a jolt which evolves into a cry. They say that necessity is the mother of invention, so I loaned the nursery my cassette player. Then, as I prepared to leave my infant soundly asleep, I would gently start the music, usually Rafi, securing the knowledge that, barring any electronic malfunctioning, one side of a cassette would last about 30 minutes. As bedtime stories took the place of music, I began to record my children's favourite books on tape for them to listen to after I'd left the room. This proved to be such a huge success that I continued the tradition until their 16th or even 17th birthdays. It became harder and harder to get a favourite book on a tape the older they got. In the past few years, the tape evolved into a CD. Now everything is digital, even my voice. Good news, though. For the most part, my teenagers can go to sleep without my voice accompanying them into dreamland, although I do still hear my dulcet tones seeping through the ceiling from my girls' bedrooms from time to time. Also, they can now turn over their own tapes or change their own CDs. There are mountains of audio memories captured on these little brown reels that have been coaxed and loved into service despite players that had tendencies to eat up the stories instead of playing them. My words have returned to my children night after night, instilling values and family traditions. As they drifted into sleep, they've murmured prayers and sung along to songs. They've smiled at familiar books and learned them verbatim, including my mistakes. They've been comfortingly transported through their infant, toddler, elementary and teenage years. They've enjoyed being guest artists on each other's tapes. And we even have voice guests from abroad when the English side of the family visits. A downside to this is a recurring but not convicting thought I have, that if they listen to my voice telling them nursery stories to lull them to sleep, can I wonder that they don't always pay attention to my voice during the day when I'm teaching? Now, if you're thinking that this is all about me, about how I get my children to go to bed without any fuss, then you're partly right. All parents know that the promise of a bedtime story is not automatically going to make the wrench from daytime play to nighttime sleep a breeze, but it will smooth the way. What I'm also hoping to convey here is the sense that television and other visuals have somehow crept into our houses and subtly taken over. My homeschoolers may be labelled as nerds, but at the very least, they're going to be nerds with lives, lives beyond the television. Yes, all my children watched Sesame Street for years beyond the age-appropriate level. It was a hard habit to give up when your mentor is your favourite colour. They also played games inside and outside with one another without the distractions found in public schools. They cringed when their grandfather and Tyler, making a rare comment on their mode of education, quipped, Hey, the only fun in middle school was the girls. We'd flick stuff at them during class to get their attention. Then we'd chase them down at recess for a kick. Grandpa, they'd yell in unison before he said the awkward word. In my 11th year of homeschooling, I was beyond caring what other children were doing in their schools, and I certainly wasn't going to take any notice of what my elders said when it came to what they thought was best for my children. I was teaching, my children were learning, 
and they were playing real games with each other at recess. Keeping life innocent for our children had always depended on two things, discouraging undesirable attachments to other children who would rapidly become their mentors, heroes, role models and confidants, and wise and careful monitoring of that media proliferating appliance, television, that can make or break childhood. The first we sold when we opened Wildflower Academy. The second was a natural consequence. And now I have to go on a short break, but join me after these few messages. My guest this week is Teresa Brett, and I'm sure you will love listening to our conversation. So come back. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. Everybody In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. It's time to capture the simple piece of the Amish in your own life. Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods-Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central. Each week, Suzanne will have conversations with guests about living a life that incorporates principles of the Amish without going Amish. She'll cover the practical, simplicity, slowing down, reducing clutter, putting the brakes on materialism, the historical, how have the Amish survived for 400 years, how can we hold on to what we hold dear, and the spiritual, treasuring important values, honoring the past, and increasing peace of mind. You don't have to become Amish to make personal peace a reality. Amish wisdom will help all of us live a simpler life. For more information, go to SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. With Amish wisdom, Suzanne offers us a glimpse into a world of peace, serenity, and total commitment to family and God. This show just might change the way you live your life. It's Amish wisdom with Suzanne Woods Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. 
I'm back and I'm thrilled to welcome once again Teresa Brett as my guest. Teresa has just finished her book, Parenting for Social Change, which gives parents strategies and tools for letting go of harmful control of their children. She educates her two sons, ages nine and four, at home in the Sonoran Desert, and together they explore the best way to talk about things instead of just telling each other what to do and how to feel. Teresa combines her knowledge, passion, and skills as a social justice educator and consultant in higher education with her experience as a parent in this compelling call for the transformation of the parent-child relationship. Good afternoon, Teresa, and welcome back. Thank you, Vivian. <laughs> well, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> oh, we have a lovely day, too. It started yeah. off horrible at the beginning of the week, but, oh, it's gorgeous. Out. Oh, good. <laughs> so where about, I, I know I say this about the Sonoran Desert, and I actually looked it up, and it kind of goes on to, is it three states? So whereabouts on, in the Sonoran Desert are you? Uh, you know, we're actually in Tucson, Arizona. Oh, okay. So we are surrounded with saguaros. We have a couple of saguaro national parks. And, yeah, it's a pretty unique place, even though it does um, span three different states and into Mexico as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, I saw that. And I, I don't remember, I didn't, I looked through my notes and I couldn't see anywhere where I'd written whereabouts on the, in the um, desert you were. And that, that always sounds great, but obviously there's a city close by and, you know, it's yeah. not really out in the middle of nowhere, is no, it? No, we're not out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> no. You just you just have that nice, is it, is it warm during the day and cools down at night? It is, it is. Yeah. Actually, today it's in the 90s, so, uh, so oh. the kids went off with their dad to the public pool. Oh gosh, that's great! All right, well, I well we have a pool, but my daughter was out sunbathing, and I said, if it gets too hot, you can jump in the pool. She said, Oh no, that's too cold. Yet. Oh yeah, which it probably still is. All right, well, before we get into our serious little talk, um, tell us a little bit about yourself for those of my listeners who don't remember you from last time. Well, sure. Um, you mentioned some things about me in the introduction. I also have um, two sons, uh, Martel and Grayson. Um, Martel is the oldest child and he's nine and Grayson is four and my partner is Rob and I um, previously had a uh, more than full-time career in higher education and when my first son was born about four years into that I decided that life was too short and I was missing out on his growing up so I made the decision to um, quit doing that and uh, start doing consulting on a part-time basis and and our goal was for each of us to work part-time so that we could spend the kind of time we wanted and so we downsized our life and moved back to Arizona and near family so we could uh, really have the kind of quality time we wanted with our kids um, before they're up and gone. Mm-hmm. But you also, as well as um, downsizing your life and part-timing your job, you also decided to um, educate your children at home. Yes. So, yes. so was that just a natural progression? Did you um, consciously decide to do that? Had you sent them to school and decided, no, this is wrong? Or how did that happen? Sure. Well, you know, um, it, it's interesting because I've been in um, working in universities since I got out of law school myself. I didn't go into practice law. I, I went right into being a university administrator and working with students. And so you'd think given my long history, or maybe it is because of my long history, (laughs) 
in education that I made the decision. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we when I was pregnant with Martel, um, the oldest, you know, my husband had, was not one of those kids who fit the mold. And, um, and there were times when school was just not a very good fit. And he was a late bloomer. He didn't um, get his, you know, he went to college when he was right out of high school, but he quit and we got married and he started working and then later on he got his degree and he was really on his own time frame and I um, you know I was very successful in school but I also felt like there were ways in which I kind of followed the path that was laid for me as opposed to following my own path <laughs> and I was always open to the idea of um, homeschooling and um, seeing how that would work and so um, you know, and also really believing that, um, you know, for example, I saw so many um, students who went to college that weren't there because they wanted to be there, but because their parents, you know, had told them that's what they needed to do. And I really was hoping that, you know, if my kids chose to go to college, it would be because that was right for them. And they would, you know, I wanted them to be happy whether they were, you know, working in a, you know, in retail or, you know, as a artist or in college as an engineer. And so, we sort of have always been open to that, and then when Martel became um, kindergarten age, I just couldn't see him um, going away from us <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> because five still seemed very young to me. Yes, yes, it and does. Uh, you know, the thought of sending him away was really too hard for me. So initially, it was our decision to keep him home, and then as he's gotten older, we have talked to him about whether or not he wants to go to school. He has cousins that live right next door that go to school um, and another set of cousins who are in town that go to school and he said no way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and so really it's been his decision now um, to stay home um, with us and to be a homeschooler and Grayson is four so he's not at that age and you know but he's Martel talks to him and he says Grayson you don't want to go to school do you (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and Grayson is not at that um, age so how I mean, I know that you are um, an advocate for allowing children to um, have, have, you know, dialogue, having dialogue with your children so that you're not saying this is what you have to do and you right. know you're not going to go to school and you're going to do, you know, because this is better for you because I'm older and wiser and I know more. Right. But how? And, and tell me, how? what if Martel did decide at 12 that he wanted to go to school? Um, I'm sure that you know that you should be perfectly okay with that. Right. Are you going to right. be perfectly okay with that, do you think? You know, I will support the decision, but I can't say internally that I'm going to be perfectly okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's sort of the ideal that I try to live, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then there's the reality of how I feel about it. You know, I um, so if he chose to school, I chose to go to school, first I'd want to have a dialogue about what he thinks he's going to get from that experience mm-hmm. and what he might feel like he's missing in his life now. Now, and maybe he just wants the experience to have done it, you know, so he knows what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I'd want to really talk with him and understand his motivations for wanting to go to school, you know, what he hopes to get from that experience and support that, you know, although I'm sure I'm going to have mixed feelings if he ever mm-hmm. makes that choice. Um, I can see Grayson is a very different personality than Martel, and I could actually see him choosing to go to school more likely than Martel might. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Martel is, is a little bit more introverted, and um, Grayson is much more social, and I, you know, I certainly could imagine that he, he would say, I want to go and be with kids every day, even though 
as homeschoolers, we have that opportunity. I think it's sort of a myth that mm-hmm. our kids don't have friends, <laughs> you know, as homeschoolers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they I... certainly have lots of friends. But, you know, it may be something that I see him wanting um, that more than Martel. But I, you know, it would be mixed, and I would want to support that decision and also support them deciding maybe to come back home. <laughs> Yes, well, you know, because I was thinking that I know you definitely did not come come from the background that you're trying to create or the culture that you're trying to create for your family. And so um, you already have baggage, if you want to call it that. You, know, you already have um, opinions on um, how 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 you were were raised and mm-hmm. but your children aren't going to have that because you're going you're you're already raising them with this very um much more dialogue and much more respect for children and and what they what they think and how they feel about decisions that are being made um so um that's that's why i asked that question because i thought i know deep down you, you're probably kind of clinging on to some primordial Absolutely. feeling that you had you know <laughs> when the, the way you were raised i know i would too but, um, right. i think it's one i think it's wonderful you know sort of um trying to relearn and um, do this with our children. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, the, the because we're talking about emotions here. So um, how, do, how do parents emotionally um, control their children? And control is such a strong word because we love our children. We don't really want to feel as though we're oppressing them or controlling oh, them. Oh, I totally agree. And I, I would have never thought I was controlling. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then I... Um, you know, I had a couple of moments where I sort of saw some of the things I was doing in a different light that made me think, wow, that was really controlling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I always, um, when I was a child, I felt like what I could express was happiness, you know, and 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 those sorts of things. But I never felt like I could express when I was sad or frustrated or angry without sort of having the disapproval of my parents. And so what I, I feel like I grew up with was this idea that if you felt those things that you were, you know, that it was bad to feel mm-hmm. angry um, or bad to feel sad, and it was best to avoid those feelings. And, um, you know, I think in some ways it was it was because maybe my parents were uncomfortable. You know, we're all uncomfortable when our kids are sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's awful to see your child crying and sad because a friend, you know, rejected them or something isn't working the way that they want to. And it, and it can, it's just hard as parents to see that happen. And we want them to be happy um, in so many ways. You know, that's why we do what we do. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Is because we want them to be happy. And, um, you know, I, I was reflecting on some of my own experiences as a child. And then when I started writing the book, um, I was reading a lot of research articles. And I came across this one article that really resonated with me that talked about when, um, when children have a negative experience and they're not able to talk about the experience and express their emotions, that what happens is they're not able able to kind of make sense of that negative experience. I mean, we're all going to have negative experiences in our life. That's just the reality of life. It's not always happy. We're disappointed. You know, people Mm -hmm. die. There's grief, you know. 
And so one of the, uh, what, what I, what resonated with me and with my own experience was when, when we don't allow children to express those emotions, they can't make sense of the experience. And when they, they then move forward in their life as older children or as adults, if they experience something similar, what they're really doing in those feelings is not only feeling that current experience right now, but they're reliving the past mm-hmm. um, because they haven't been able to integrate that, you know, sad experience or grief experience or anger. Um, they haven't been able, they weren't able to feel it the first time. And so it sort of multiplies. Mm. Um, Let's talk about that more after the break. For those sure. of you who are just joining us, I'm talking to Teresa Brett, author of Parenting for Social Change. We're talking about being being ourselves and not what others expect us to be. And we're also talking about um, curbing without realizing it our children's emotional freedom. So come back after this short break and listen as we talk about changing the face of parenting with my guest, Teresa Brett. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrock. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the Million Dollar Mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. 
I'm talking to Teresa Brett, and we're talking about um, our children's emotions. And really, what we were saying earlier was that there seems to be acceptable emotions that parents, you know, are happy to see their children happy, but not so happy to see them sad or angry. And that something happens later in life when children have not been able to fully express those negative emotions. So, um, explain a little bit more about that, Teresa, um, how they're reliving because they haven't been able to put that emotion to bed when it happens again they don't really have a positive way of dealing with it is that what you're saying yeah i think they don't really have a positive way to deal with it and rather than just responding to whatever the current situation is they're also reliving the past negative experience so it's sort of compounding you know sort of like multiplying the negative emotions Mm. um so not only are they experiencing sadness or grief about what's currently happening add on to that how they feel about the past experience that they didn't have a chance to you know uh to express those emotions and sort of go through that flow of emotions that allow you to then kind of make sense of what that experience was Um, and that our children need to do that even if maybe they're not verbal you know as verbal they may not be able to express it verbally as much but I think there are ways in which they express emotions that um, you know is really important to their and based on what I've read and my own experience is important to their healthy emotional development Mm -hmm. so so what do we do say when a child comes home is upset because they've had an argument or a run-in with a friend and they're they're upset what what do we tend to do as parents instead of letting them work through that you know i think one of the things that we do and i certainly uh, fight against doing this and i end up doing it as well (laughs) is sometimes we want to fix the problem right (laughs) the child comes in and we want to give them solutions or offer solutions to whatever the problem or the issue is that they're struggling with and sometimes maybe all they want is just to say what they're feeling, um, mm-hmm. you know, without having someone kind of take over the problem for them. Um, and, you know, uh, the I think the other thing that we can do is um, we can in some ways trivialize the emotions. Um, you know, I think that, you know, I remember even as a teenager, I felt really strongly about certain things. I don't remember this, you know, often I think the stereotypical situation that we hear about is when someone, a teenager falls in love and the parent Mm-hmm. And say, well, you don't know what love is, yeah. right? Um, you know, in some ways that really trivializes the very deep feelings the child may be having. And then if that boyfriend or girlfriend has broken up with them, we may say, oh, but you're going to find someone else, so it's okay, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Um, and, all, you know, all the things we're trying to do really are to help our children feel better, but in some ways they need to express it in their own time frame. They need to feel it the way they feel it and not without us saying, this is how you should feel or don't worry about it or, you know what, you're going to find a new friend. Um, you know, so it's what I find challenging for my is just to sit and listen, you know, without judging it, without wanting it to move more quickly than my Mm -hmm. son might be willing to let it move. Mm -hmm. You know, he might want to be angry. One of the things that he does is when he is angry, he often wants to be by himself. And when he's angry, I want to be with him Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I want to be there to help him. Mm -hmm. And so I really have to stop myself from not honoring the way he wants to be in that moment. Mm 
um, you know, rather than going in and saying, no, you need to talk to me about this, I have to sort of stop myself and say, or I might come to the door and say, you know, Martel, do you want me to come in? Can I come in? You know, instead of just coming straight in. Um, sometimes I'll ask him, is this something that you want to talk about? You know, um, is this something maybe we want to think about what some solutions are to kind of leave the the control, so to speak, uh, or the, you know, the steering wheel with him about where he wants to go with his feelings as opposed to me sort of steering him in a particular direction. Um, so I think those are some of the strategies we can use and some of the ways in which in our desire to ease the pain that we don't want our children to have with all the best intentions, you know, we can send them the message that it's really not okay to feel sad, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. I can't handle it when you feel sad. Um, uh-huh. yeah, and the truth may be I can't handle it when he feels sad. Well, yes. <laughs> you, but, know, you know, but I also need to say, okay, but that's, but I need to just accept that's how he feels right now, you know, and not impose my discomfort on him in a way well, and, that and, makes him shut down. Yeah, go and, ahead. And if you, if you think about it, you, uh, you know, you're with adults, with your, your best friend or your partner or your spouse, um, you, you would be a little bit more cognizant of well that's the way they want to deal with it and i deal with it this way and you wouldn't barge in and say this is how you need to deal with it well i would hope that you would right. you, but we would let our fellow you know our peers be you know the adults that, that that they are but with children you tend to go no no no, that's not the, because i'm older and i know more so right. you, know, you don't have to deal with it that way yeah. yeah and i think that's so true we, we do tend to be more respectful of our peers other adults in our lives you know, and, and maybe we listen or we, you know, just empathize, but we don't try to say, well, have you done this, this, or this? <laughs> you know, sometimes I do, but sometimes I try to stop that, too. Well, yes, um, I know. My husband and I deal with things completely differently. I, I like to be left alone. He doesn't. And when he's having a problem, I leave him alone because that's the way I like to be treated. And he says, I don't want you to leave me alone. I want you to come in and help me. You know? Right, so, right. You know, and in yeah. some ways, um, we're kind of learning that for with our children. Like, what is it the way what are the ways they need to deal with their emotions and uh you know and that's a great i think that's such a wonderful example vivian of how you know he expresses this is how i need you to help me and and we try to do it you know there's the golden rule right you want to treat others as you would want to be treated and sometimes that works and sometimes that's not what the person really wants or needs from us you know and and i think that's one of the reasons i emphasize dialoguing with um you know the children that are in my life so that i really get a sense about who are they and what is it that they need from me rather than me sort of you know projecting what i think they might need emotionally from me Mm -hmm. well and you talk about dialoguing and talking with your children and um my my whole my show this week deals with television because that happens to be the extract from my book is about TV and how I call it, you know, the stranger in the living room. We really yeah. don't know what it is. And I came across an article that you had written and you gave a completely different slant on how you <laughs> view television to the way I do because I'm just like an all or nothing, you know. Right. I just don't want to deal with it. And um, I haven't said to my children, they can't watch this program, they can't watch that program. We just don't watch television. Right, period, right. So we don't have to make the choice. So give me give me something about um, how you deal with television with your, sure. with your children. You know, and I definitely was in a place of not wanting to expose Martel to certain kinds of things, you know, when he was younger. And it was around when he was five that I um, started to shift my thinking a little bit. And, you know, it was one of the things that um, that I experienced. I tell this story in the book that um, I finally, I loved Star Wars. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and so I finally decided I wanted to show Martel the Star Wars, the old Star Wars movies, because they're not mm-hmm. as violent as the new Star Wars movies. And I mm-hmm. thought he might enjoy them. And so he was watching them, and I would fast forward through the parts that I didn't want him to see. <laughs> and I would tell him that I didn't like to watch those parts, which to some degree was true. I didn't like some of the more violent parts myself, but mm-hmm. I also didn't want him to see them. And one day he um, was sick, and he was just watching the movies on the video. And, and then I heard the parts come, and I, was, and I said, Martel, I'm coming in. I'm going to fast forward. And he shut the door. And he said, don't worry, Mom. They're almost over. Don't come in. I don't want you to watch them so you don't get scared. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and it sort of thought I sort of thought, oh, he's not really scared by them. <laughs> no. no. Um, okay. And then, uh, you know, it sort of made me think about, you know, what I thought would scare him didn't scare him mm-hmm. at all. And uh, there were things that he would watch on TV where he would be scared and he would tell me to shut it off. Mm-hmm. And it was typically where kids were getting in trouble and being yelled at. <laughs> Um, And, you know, there's this one PBS show called Caillou, and um, there's times when Caillou does things and he gets in trouble and the parents reprimand him. They don't, they're not mean to him, but they reprimand him. And and Martel would always shut that show off when Caillou started to do something that he knew the parents would not like. He'd say, Mom, shut the show off. He was four Mm -hmm. and five. And I think what I hadn't realized at that point was that he really was regulating his television comfort level. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was asking me to help him do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I thought he would, he should be comfortable with, he wasn't. And, and what I thought would scare him also didn't scare him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it sort of made me think about, well, what do I really know about him, you know, mm-hmm. and what is it that I just think I know about him made me kind of just be o- more open to thinking of engaging with him with television in ways that I hadn't before because I thought it was safe. Um, and I thought, you know, if we're going to watch television, I need to watch with him much more than I was. I would put on PBS Kids and I would leave it. Mm-hmm. Um, and not worry. And so for me, it was a sh- really shifting and thinking about, you know, I understand the stranger in the house. I felt like um, I knew what was coming on. I was okay with it, so she would be okay with it. But really, um, I needed to be with him and much more engaged in the process mm-hmm. and understanding him and what television meant to him and what those shows meant to him. And I think it's opened up a lot of different conversations with us that I don't know that we would have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think created a kind of connectedness that I didn't have when I didn't, when I created safety in the television by only letting him watch PBS. Mm-hmm. I don't know well, if that makes and, sense. And also Vivian, there's, um, there's this discussion about, because I always say that movie ratings are the same thing. I mean, somebody out there is rating this movie as a G and what do they know? I mean, right. this is a universal G. This is all the children in the world, you know, and, and how, how, how can a few people say that this is okay for all these children? And so it, it comes to that too. So you really do have to, you know, be with your child, whether they're watching TV or a movie or even whether they're, when they're reading a book or in any kind of situation and be with them and, and let them let you know. Right, right. makes them feel. Yeah, that's yeah. so important. Yeah. I was, I was actually waiting outside my hairdresser's door um, a few weeks ago with my daughter, who is 19. And she has three, my hairdresser has three small dogs. And before she opened the door, she had to get rid of the dog. She was trying to, they were yapping around and they wouldn't have let us in. So she started yelling at them and my daughter said, I hate it when people do that. I hate it when they raise their voices and yell at their dogs. They're only dogs, for goodness sake. Why get so worked up? And I said, oh, my goodness. And she just doesn't, she just, you know, didn't like that at all. She was almost walking away. And I said, oh, 
yes, well, we'll just kind of ignore that and uh, move okay. on. Just make sure you don't catch yourself doing that. And I think she learned, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, your book. Tell us about your book. It sounds wonderful. You've got it published. I know you were working on it when we spoke last. Parenting yes. So, yeah, it's, um, it was uh, released in um, February. And it covers a wide range of um, topics about um, control. And, um, and what I'm trying to do in the book is to really have a think about childhood um, oh. differently. Oh. Teresa, I'm, we're yes. going to have to talk a little bit after the show. After, not after the show, but after this break, because okay. that crept up on me really fast. So can you stay for a few Absolutely. more minutes? Okay, well, let's, let's do your book after this. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4 or 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage. Connect with Juliana in media.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Renowned and gifted psychic medium, Sylvia Rossi, explores the mysteries of this life, the afterlife, and the unseen world that surrounds us all in the show called Make Contact with Sylvia Rossi, Wednesdays at 2, 1 p.m. Central here on Toginet. Sylvia Rossi with her special guests and other fellow psychics invite you to call in and make contact with the world beyond and get answers to your questions. Psychic medium Sylvia Rossi has been sharing her gift professionally for the last 17 years. Sylvia has made it her mission to help individuals and families understand their eternal connection to loved ones that have passed on, bringing relief and comfort to countless souls who have been touched by her gift. She's had the privilege of meeting and working with many psychologists who continue to recommend their clients to her when conventional methods have failed. Now it's your turn to make contact with host and psychic medium Sylvia Rossi. Wednesdays at 2, 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. I'm back and I'm talking to Teresa Brett. We're going to be talking about her book um, for a few minutes into this um, segment. You said you just had it um, released in February. And yes. tell us a little bit about um, the cultural, harmful cultural messages we as parents perpetuate in our relationship with children. Tell us how you deal a little bit with that. Give us a couple of examples. Um, one of the things that I do in the book is try to um, look at the ways in which we... 
accept certain um, ideas about children. You know, and, and often we um, see children as, um, you know, historically we've sort of seen them as uh, savages, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> in different mm-hmm. ways. There's even been developments, you know, in, um, uh, in terms of how doctors have seen um, newborns, uh, you know, and their responses to pain, mm-hmm. you know, with circumcision, without anesthesia, and now some changes in that. And so in some ways we have a lot of cultural norms about childhood that maybe babies don't feel as much pain as adults do or, uh, you know, that children, if we don't force them to do certain things, that they will never learn how to do those things um, based on this belief that, uh, you know, they, um, they are less than adults and certainly they have less experience and they don't have the same kind of life experiences that that we've had but often you know as parents we often see this children have these uh you know in some ways amazing insights into the world because they're seeing it new mm-hmm. um, that often as adults we forget about. And so um, some of what I'm trying to do in the book is to get us to think about, you know, different ways of looking at children and the capacities of children as being much greater than we might believe they are. And, and in fact, that um, that controlling parenting, whether it's emotional control or other kinds of control, is more harmful than we might believe it based on some of the research that's out there by the social scientists. Mm-hmm. Um, and that supportive parenting, where, where um, kids feel that their parents love them unconditionally, that they try to help um, foster their interests and support them in what they want to pursue, has much more positive outcomes than parents who want to control children. You know, in some ways, like the tiger mother debate, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? From, oh, yes. Uh, and and we see well. this in, in America with so many of the, the sports. In fact, my daughter went to a cheerleading thing yesterday, and her friend is 18 or 19. But she said there are three-year-olds in there, mom, tumbling, and they're doing all that. And I'm going, they're only three. What are they doing, doing organized <laughs> sport at three? You know? They should be out playing in the dirt. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. In the grass and with the trees. And <laughs> I know, I know. Well, Teresa, I could talk to you for my whole show, not just for a small portion of my show. And I'm going to have to um, finish with you now. Um, for those of you who have enjoyed our conversation, go to www.parentingforsocialchange.com. Find out about Teresa. She has written loads and loads and loads of articles. She's written this fabulous book. You can buy the book on her website. And um, the book itself debunks the myth that controlling children is necessary to ensure that they grow into healthy, responsible, and valuable adults. I know we all love our children. She also changes that our children to the children who live with us or share our lives. And I think that's wonderful, too. So go buy her book. It'll change how you relate to your blessed children with whom you live. Have a wonderful weekend, Teresa. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. As always, a pleasure, Vivian. All right. I'll speak to you again, I'm sure. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That was Teresa. She is an amazing woman. I really love talking to her. Um, and now I need to go and tell you about what happened to my mum just before I left England when I'd finished my task of ferrying Malia along to her schools and making sure that she was confident about her travel plans. Um, when she was meeting her friend from Paris, I was able to devote some time to my mum. She'd been complaining of pain in her mouth for a long time, and I'd taken her to a dentist the last time I was there in August, and we'd made appointments with her doctor still to no avail. To all accounts, she had this phantom discomfort in her 
her mouth, which stopped her eventually from wanting to swallow, and consequently from wanting to eat or drink anything. And so when I arrived um, last week, I took one look at her and went, this lady is not well. She'd lost a considerable amount of weight since I'd last seen her. So I instantly made an appointment um, with a private ear, nose and throat doctor um, just down the road from where she lived, Mr. Pryor. They call their specialist Mr. in England. And he couldn't find anything wrong with her, even though he had me hold her head while he put a scope down her nostrils to view her throat. I felt as if I was assisting in torture and was uncomfortable doing this dastardly task, but I did and reassured her all the time. Um, He kept telling me that she looked awful, though, and it got me thinking that perhaps she did need to go into the hospital where she could be on a drip at least and get some fluids in her. And um, he ordered a swallowing x-ray for her, so I made the appointment for the following Monday. I wouldn't be there, but my brother would be. Um, Later that evening, during a conversation with my brother, who always says mum is fine when I ask him, I said I thought I should admit her to the hospital. So he said that since I was living with her, I should let him know what I thought on Saturday. This was Thursday, so I'm guessing he had plans on Friday evening. Plus, he was displaying more of his philosophy of life. If he leaves it alone, it'll go away. It being mummy, I wonder. Anyway, we managed through Friday. I cajoled her into eating tiny little bits and pieces and drinking a couple of cups of coffee and witnessed her excruciating pain every time she swallowed. While mum was going through all of this, Malia and her friend Annie arrived home and went in to meet my mum. And she wasn't looking her best, as I've said, but Annie immediately came into me in the kitchen and said, you look just like your mother, to which I responded, well, I hope not. She looks awful right now. Poor girl didn't know what to say, but I knew what she meant. Anyway, I telephoned my brother who was off to a concert with a friend. See, I knew he was busy. And I told him that I was going to take her to accident and emergency the next day. And he said, well, don't you take her. Call me in the morning and I'll come over and get you. Well, the next morning I got her up about nine and had her dressed and sitting on her bed while we waited until 12.45 for my brother to get himself over to our flat. He lives all of a mile away from mum and take us to the hospital. I should have got a taxi. I was beside myself anyway. We were lucky that it wasn't at all busy when we finally arrived at the hospital and we were taken back almost immediately. Now, the emergency room was nothing like American ERs. There are literally little nooks and crannies back in the bowels of the hospital where the triage nurses assess the situation. Chipped paint, exposed pipes and uneven tile flooring all add to the character. It looked like something from the third world or at least from Dickens. Oh, and you had to see the wheelchair we commandeered to believe it. An ancient metal frame contraction that must have been 50 years old. I'd never seen anything like it. We finally got to a bed behind curtains and my brother had to go to the office. I'll be back in a bit, he waved. Three hours later, he returned. But hey, I was able to do all the talking as the nurses and doctors came back at hourly intervals. I was able to listen to the other patients and imagining what was going on in their little curtained-off cubicles. The doctors who attended my mum were young and clever and very polite, and she seemed to be perking up with all the attention. Guess what? They did indeed find something going on in her mouth, ulcers on her tongue and her gums and thrush, which the ENT from Thursday completely missed in his fancy office with expensive equipment. By the time brother of mine returned, we'd moved on quite well. Lots of blood had been drawn, an ECG had been done, a chest x-ray, a drip had been started. So we accompanied her to the ward, which was in the new part of the hospital and had only four beds instead of the huge nightingale wards prevalent in the old part. 
The nurses and registrar were lovely and after answering more questions and listing her medications which I had written up before leaving home, my brother and I left confident that she was in good hands. For now, she's in Lewisham Hospital, not the nicest part of town, but close to where my brother works. In Ash Ward, she's already moved twice, awaiting tests to find out exactly what is going on with her mouth and why she has so much pain in her jaw and throat. So hopefully we'll get to the bottom of that and she'll be eating again soon. Um, After the hospital, my brother and I went straight to Mass. It was 6pm and afterwards he introduced me to some of his friends. Otherwise, he said they would have been some gossip going on, wondering who he was with and he said this is my sister she's been here for a week and deals with everything whereas I tend to keep putting things off so true at least he admitted it poor mum Um, My study upstairs is now yielding a beautiful view. I moved into it during the winter when all the leaves had fallen. I could see the main road, but now there's a blaze of fresh green everywhere and the road is completely blocked from sight. Green is such tranquil colour, don't you think? And um, just a brief little touch on the state of affairs concerning my legality in America as a British citizen. I'm turning traitor, I think, as I said last week, and I made fun of my friend from Liverpool when she became an American citizen after 20 plus years. But I've decided that for every very unpleasant, no, for every very pleasant experience that I've had at the immigration desk in America, I've had three that are positively aggressive and enough's enough. Despite the fingerprint that never changes, the staff just can't leave me alone at customs and insist that the photo no longer looks like me. Who are they kidding? Have you ever looked through baby pictures of friends and family and immediately recognised those close to you from their toddler, even infant days? Friends from kindergarten look exactly the same at those high school reunions, don't they? Well, not exactly, but totally recognisable. So the photo excuse is a load of hogwash, truly. The new card that they're not telling me I have to get as they take my photo and scan my handprint each time I try to enter America is almost as expensive as naturalisation, so I'm going to go against all my convictions and apply for my American citizenship. I can still retain my British identity and rights and my accent. So like my children, I will be a dual citizen. I filled out all the forms, researched all the evidence, which we already did years ago when we first got married, and I took up permanent residency in this fair land. Where do all those records go? Once I've coughed up the extortionate fee, I will apply for a passport so they can no longer say, will you step aside, please, ma'am, and come with me? managed to rattle on for another whole hour and it's time for me to bid you farewell for this week i'm serving at stations at the cross tonight up at my church and my other children and my husband are going to the catholic church for stations because it's earlier and doesn't take quite so long catholics always rattle things off they think they have their place reserved for them in heaven so they don't really need to um be as serious about it down here on earth sometimes i think that's really healthy and sensible because we take advantage of the catholic service well and i'm going to malia's talent show on saturday so that i can vote for her she's canvassing all her friends for as much support and votes that she can get and then all weekend i'm going to be working garland summer musical auditions it's come up very fast so for this week i'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight our four children who are the result of that belief the hard-working staff at Toginet radio my guest Teresa brett and you my faithful listeners especially hannah tina and rosemary may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you may the lord watch over you and give you peace numbers 624 through 26 do do
You have a wonderful week and I'll see you next Friday. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Togi.